Hello, this is AuthenticVoices.life, where finding meaning means finding who you are through the authentic voice. For the community, Inspire Radio. We are for the community, and this is Inspire Radio, and you're with Chris Boys on Authentic Voices. And we have Warren Harvey from a Collective Hope Church in Northern. Now, Warren is a great friend of mine. We've known each other for three decades now, as Warren uh, said to me earlier before we went live. And it's just yep. great to have you with us, Warren. Warren Harvey uh, from Collective Hope Church. We're going to talk about uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or FASD for short. It's such a, a great privilege and an honour to have you with us today, my long friend. How you going, Matt? Yeah, good, Bray. Thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to come and talk about this very passionate subject, which I'm very uh, passionate about, uh, FASD or fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And um, yeah, I'm really, really privileged to be here. Oh, look, it's really great to be here. I mean, Inspire Radio is something that, you know, we, we really believe in being a voice to the community. And, you know, FASD is something that we did highlight during the week. One of our presenters, uh, Gabby, actually interviewed someone about this particular subject, and I mentioned that I had a, a friend with you, a friendship with yourself, and uh, I know you've also got yep. some personal experience, and you know I'd love to get into that with you a little bit later into the uh, interview. Absolutely. But um, yep. just, just to start off with, um, you know, just tell us a little bit about um, you know this important topic, you know, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. What is it? How did it come about? And you know, when did it first become prevalent in our community, Warren? Well, it's always been prevalent, you know. Um, FASD has been called the invisible, invisible disability, and um, that's partly because it's um, it hasn't been seen. Um, you know, the the um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder uh, mainly affects the the brain and the neurotic um, and what's happening uh, inside us, and um, and not a lot of physical symptoms happening there. And so, it's actually regarded as one of the highest um, prevalent disabilities that, that causes mental retardation in the Western world. Wow. So it, it's it's been um, it's it's been around uh, with us for a long time. If you even look through history, I can't. Sorry, I'm not very um, not very good on the on the dates, but they had the gin babies um, back back there, um, and it's been it's been prevalent for a long time. Wow, it's it it's an amazing. Um thing that you know there still isn't a whole heap of support for it i mean i saw that there was a government website last night i saw that um you know we do have an official government website called no fasd i hope that's right Warren. i hope i got that right and it amazes me just in the you know the conversation that we had before we went off air you know from when i first you know sort of caught up with you back in 2012 and saw the amazing efforts and work that you were doing, you know, with the flash mobs and everything that you were involved yep. in. I mean, there was very, there was pretty much hardly anything really known about it then. And even though it's really good to see that there is some government to support, uh, it would be fair to say there's still a ways to go. Is that right? Well, there's still a ways to go. Like, when I um, first started getting involved in FASD, I, I basically got involved for uh, personal reasons, um, and we can get into that a bit later, but um, you know, um, we we discovered um, that our adopted son had FASD because um, we had noticed a few a few things. We had three other biological children, so we, we knew what um, you know what uh, what to look for in a in a child that that doesn't have the uh, disability. And um, we started trying searching for answers. We started going to paediatricians. We started going here and getting nowhere. 
And um, my wife at the, at the time, um, she found a, a book from Canada and she opened up that book. She read it. She um, showed me a picture um, of the, because um, some children do have facial features that have FASD. She showed me a picture of all the facial features and she asked me, she says, what do you see? And I said, I see my son. And um, at, that at that particular time, our son had all the facial features of a FASD child. Um, and um, some children do grow out of it. Uh, my, son, my son has uh, grown out of some of those facial features. Um, and, um, yeah, that, that's what got us um, onto FASD. Um, Australia has been uh, about 10 years behind on the subject um, in terms of uh, particularly with Canada and other places around the world, but we're slowly catching up. So in terms of, um, you know, like I, I'm, not a, I'm not a medical person, but I, I think I'm allowed to use the word symptomology. Does it have sim- similar symptoms, Warren, to things like uh, autism or, you know, like ADHD or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, sometimes FASD has been misdiagnosed um, as autism or FASD. Now, um, the other thing too is uh, sometimes when I'm talking to the general public about FASD, one of the first questions people ask me is go, what is FASD? What, is, what, is, what do those letters stand for? And I'm, I'm, I often, I'm, I'm usually against, um, you know, jargon, but on this instance, I'm, I'm kind of for it because it gives me a little bit of a limit test of um, how well we're doing with awareness. Because, like, for example, I often say to them, do you know what ADHD stands for? And most people will say, yes, I know what ADHD, or if they can't say all of it, you know, they'll say attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or, or they'll go, um, or they'll say half of it. So they have some idea of what it is. Um, if I say, well, I, you know, ADHD, or if I, you know, if I use these letters, people generally know what it is. They say, but do you know what FASD is? F-A-S-D. And, um, a lot of people will say no, but when they hear the words fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, oh yes, I have heard something about that. So, but our, our public awareness has not yet got to the stage where if I say, oh, that, you know, FASD, people actually know what I'm talking about. They're like, oh, what is that? Oh, I feel like, oh yes. So it kind of does create a bit of a gauge, in my opinion, about how well we're actually campaigning and doing public health promotion. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the only time I ever knew about it, Warren, was, you know, like when I visited yourself in Esperance, you know, and and it was a great joy for me to catch up with you. And it was only then when I started to, you know, be educated by you and and I could see, obviously, you were just so passionate about this topic because you've got a child who's actually suffering it, you know. And that that was the only time that I heard about it. And, you know, the only time that it really visited my doorstep was, you know, in our presenters meeting, it came up as a topic, you know. Do, you know, does anyone of us know anybody or can we interview anyone? And, you know, like I said, one of our presenters, uh, Gail, Gabby, sorry, she interviewed someone uh, with this particular topic on no, FASD, no, yeah. sorry, FASD Day. I think, sorry if I got that wrong, was it? But, but you That's know, right. and I'm just like, wow, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, we can do our part as far as Inspire Radio is concerned and, now, Gabby's done a great interview and hopefully with myself today we can get a little bit more awareness raised up, you know, because it is something that's not really widely known about, let alone understood, you know. And it's something mm. that, that, you know, the, like we just need to have that discussion and we just need to have that dialogue because, you know, it's not about the blame. It's not about, you know, it's not about any kind of blame at all. 
But it is just about just realising that it is a real thing and there are risks associated um, with, you know, drinking alcohol during, pre- during pregnancy. Is that right, Warren? Yeah, that's correct. And I really, um, I really believe in the no, the no blame approach. And um, what I often say, because, um, you know, with the, um, you know, FASD is caused primarily um, from, you know, the mother uh, drinking alcohol uh, during pregnancy. Um, and, but um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of mothers are uninformed and, and I, I call it the information vacuum. So, um, you know, the information that mothers are getting particularly uh, is variable. Some, some, um, sometimes even medical professions give um, mothers or expecting mothers misinformation. Um, or the information is absent. They didn't have access to it. Uh, it can be confusing. It can be understated. Um, so, for example, oh, you know, it's not that bad, you know, or that sort of thing, or, you know, just one or two, you know, it's... Um, I do this exercise in some of my workshops where we get pregnancy books and, um, you know, I use some of the books that was given to me when, uh, when I had our first uh, kids and um, some of the information in there, um, like I'll just, um, um, you know, for example, I'll just read something here. Um, this is from the Girlfriend's Guide to Pregnancy. Everything you need to know um, that your doctors won't tell you. And uh, so um, it, it was a number one uh, bestseller. Wow. Um, and um, this, is, this is actually, um, if you go to page 64 in this particular book, this is what it says. If my beauty salon story sounds extreme, just wait until you run into the pregnancy police at a party or a restaurant. God forbid if they should have a glass of wine uh, with dinner, if you should have a glass of wine, sorry, uh, with dinner or participate in champagne toast, even a notarised letter of permission from your doctor, the PP or the pregnancy police will either look at you witheringly at you or actually lecture you about fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, almost all of the girlfriends, none of whom I hasten to add, to add drank to a total of four or five glasses of wine or champagne over the course of their entire pregnancies, found themselves lamely trying to defend their environment uh, to total strangers more than once. Naturally, doctors will have their opinions about drinking during pregnancy. Well, actually, we're not after opinions, uh, um, Vicky. We're actually after facts. Um, anyway, I interject there. Um, naturally, doctors will have their opinions about drinking during pregnancy, but I'm neither condoning nor condemning drinking. Well, hang on a minute. Didn't you just condone it? Um, I am just saying pregnancy is hard enough without societal stigmas against hot tubs, aspirin, coffee, and artificial sweeteners, not to mention your own compromised sex life um, and your comical physical proportions. A single drink once every couple of months seems allowable, if not outright deserved. But hey, I'm no doctor. Life is a series of calculated risks, and you and your doctor should work together to chart a course of behaviour that is healthy for baby and livable for mother. Well, what's, what's, what's healthy for baby? is no alcohol at all during all nine months of pregnancy, and if you're planning on being pregnant, no alcohol is the safest and best choice. But in this particular pregnancy book, she says she's not condoning it or condemning it, but it sounds to me like she was absolutely, um, absolutely advocating that mothers are actually entitled to have a drink and talk to your doctor, but don't forget, your doctor only has an opinion. 
So it doesn't sound very safe um, to me to be, um, but this is what I call the information vacuum. That not only was that book confusing, one minute she's saying, I'm not a doctor. Then she's saying, talk to your doctor. Then she's saying, if you, yeah, but then she says, after you're talking to your doctor, don't forget you deserve to have a drink while you're pregnant. Right? So it's misleading, confusing, um, understated, because she was saying, um, you know, let's see about fetal alcohol special disorder, which is actually a lifelong illness. It's not, it's not temporary. Kids, children or babies who are born with FASD grow up to be children with FASD who grow up to be adults with FASD. It's, it's a lifelong disability. It's not something that you can just like wave the magic wand and just cure. So, um, you know, no alcohol is the safest and best choice for a mother and baby. And, you know, I often say, you know, we don't blame mothers for what's happened in the past because either they were um, often uninformed um, or they were misinformed. Um, and or the other one is too, sometimes they were, um, I often say to people, if, if someone has an addiction problem with alcohol, getting, getting pregnant is not a cure. Now, for some people, getting pregnant and realising they're pregnant and a child is on the way may be the, um, the capitalist or the, the lever to help them to find help and get off alcohol. But um, getting pregnant in itself is not a cure for an alcoholic. So there's going to be some still you know, associated risk there. And uh, what's the most important thing is not blaming people for what happened in the past, but um, giving uh, people the legs to move forward, uh, which means they need listening to, and they need encouraging, they need, uh, they need support. And it, it's also just about understanding that, you know, um, it's, well, for, well the, the thing that I'm getting from you right now, and that surprised me to even hear that, is that there's not even a consistent message that's being broadcast across the community. Um, but, it, you know, yeah. it, it is about a no-blame approach and it is about supporting the, the mother as much as possible and just helping them go forward from, from where they're at, from, you know, yeah. obviously when they realise that they're pregnant and just being supportive and just being there. And just, you know, just in your own journey as a pastor, Warren, have you come across this kind of situation where, you, you know, you've supported a couple who've been recently diagnosed and they've had to deal with all that guilt? I mean, that would be hard for them to cope with, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, it's also one of the reasons why getting a diagnosis is sometimes difficult because it's actually um, quite confronting and, and quite challenging, um, you know, because there has to be, um, even though you're using a no-blame approach, the, there's still that individual person, like the mother particularly, has to process um, the fact that, that maybe there was something that they did, whether knowingly or unknowingly, um, that caused harm to their child. Mm. Um, but, you know, like, even though our first pregnancy, you know, um, you know, my, my um, then wife was recommended um, by our doctor um, to drink stout to encourage breastfeeding. Wow, okay. So, so I actually went and bought her a whole carton. Well, I didn't know how much she needed, but she didn't drink a whole carton all at once, mind you. But, but we actually... We 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 um, trusted what the doctor had had told us. Sure, sure. We, we didn't we, we didn't know any, we didn't think or know anything different. Um, so we were we were misinformed. Our, we're fortunate that our oldest daughter, um, you know, doesn't have 
um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, but she she may well have, um, and just simply because we were following the doctor's advice at that time. Wow. Um, so, um, so I went to the library the other day, and because um, we had um, Faz, Faz D Day coming up, the ninth of the ninth, to remind not just women but everybody that no alcohol is the safest and best choice. So I went to the library in preparation uh, for it to um, get some up-to-date information. And I'm pleased to say that um, many of the books in the library, there had been certainly a lot more information about FASD than, than, than um, so the new books that are coming out, um, uh, a little bit more current and relevant. Um, however, there were still lots of, um, lots of pregnancy books there that still had uh, very little information, if any, on the subject. And so what I encourage people to do, your, your listeners, what I encourage them to do is after this segment has finished, if you've got any pregnancy books in your house, just go to them, look up either FASD or alcohol and see what it says. And you'll find that many pregnancy books um, are either a blank have or very little information about it or have very uh, uninformative or have um, or misinformation. A lot of them do. And the, the problem that we have with um, libraries is that sometimes libraries are a great place to get an old book. So sometimes the information in the books that we're getting is outdated. So we just have to be, have to be mindful of that. But it also adds to the vacuum because people who like to be educated and like to be informed, they go and get these books expecting to be informed, you know, if I go and buy a, a book that's called um, Girlfriend's Guide to Pregnancy and it says everything um, everything the doctor will tell me, uh, sorry, everything about pregnancy that the doctor won't tell me, then I'm expecting it to tell me everything. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know you know what I mean? Like, And so if these books are unin, uninform, uninformative or misinformative, the reader's not going to know that unless they actually do their research. Because, you know, like even like the, um, you know, you can get the... Um, Pregnancy for Dummies book, or you can get the, you know, um, all these kind of books, often written uh, by nurses or doctors or endorsed by a doctor or nurse. So when you look at the endorsements, you think, yes, this will tell me everything I need to know. But on this particular subject, yes, they're not, not so reliable. Just, I mean, I know because I'm a parent um, of, a, of a child who's like 26 to me, still my child, obviously, but, you know, I'm a parent of yeah. a child who was been diagnosed with autism and, uh, you know, uh, intellectual yeah. disability. And I, I know back in 1990, or oh, 2002, actually, 2003, when he first diagnosed, there, w- there wasn't a huge amount known even then about some of the specific, uh, like we always knew autism was on a spectrum, but there, there, was only, there was only just starting up support groups. So where I'm going with this question is, are there any support groups that have actually started to spring up? Are there any mother-led support groups or just support groups in the community where you live or anything like that? That Are there anything on Facebook, Warren, or, you know, like, is there anything that's sort of sp- starting to spring up around this very important subject? Yeah, there's a few um, Facebook groups now, which is, um, which is quite good. Um, and, um, you know, but even, even still some of them, um, you know, Sometimes these, uh, how can I put it? Um, I've been, I'm a member of some of these support groups, um, and then sometimes, like any social network, or particularly and particularly Facebook, where you have a lot of people involved, um, sometimes you reach out for help, and not everyone's opinions uh, are helpful. Yeah, <laughs> like, or respected. Um, right? 
yeah, so, um, um, but, you know, um, if that happens, and it happened to me one time where I was reaching out for help and, um, you know, some, not everybody in the group, but a few individuals in the group really were um, saying things were not helpful to me. Um, but the beauty, the beauty is that you can always inbox the administrator of these groups and usually um, the, the administrator of these groups are there to help you. Um, and so it's not about getting the comments removed, but it's actually about, you know, well, I, you know, I posted this um, on there and what advice do you have? Can you please help me? Um, so, you know, and the people who start these groups are usually people who are, are informed and wanting to support you. So um, if you don't have any luck on the main Facebook uh, group on the wall, you can always inbox the administrators or you can get to know people and inbox them and, and develop a friendship there. When I was in Esperance, um, we there was no we were looking for people to support and um, we weren't able to find any. So we started up the, well, I say, well, you can't really, I suppose you can't really call it a support group. It was... Um, um, me and one other person. So, <laughs> like, um, so um, because also at the time um, there was only probably one other person um, in a similar situation to us um, who had a uh, a long term foster child who had FASD mm-hmm. and was diagnosed. Um, so as 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 more and more people get um, um, diagnosed, then the, then these support groups will emerge. Mm. Um, wow. You know, and some people are still like, you know, oh, I don't want a um, diagnosis because I don't want a label. Well, I, I kind of have a different opinion about that. I, I would call a diagnosis as not a label um, because I remember being asked by one particular pediatrician, they said, why do you want a diagnosis um, for? What good is it going to do? Um, because your child either has FASD or doesn't, having having um, having the label isn't going to change anything. And I said to them, I said, oh, I want a diagnosis because I don't want a label. You see, my son, when he goes to high school, we're either going to be labelled as, he's either going to be labelled as a naughty kid or he's going to be labelled, or he's going to have a diagnosis that says he has FASD. Either his teachers are going to be supporting him because he has a real diagnosis, yeah, yep. and 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 it's going to be coming with that some understanding and and some allowances that are necessary, or he's going to get a label that he's a naughty kid. And I said, I've decided I don't want a label. Wow, I want a, I want a diagnosis. That's powerful, Warren. Um, thanks, mate. That, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, from your heart and something that. You know, I'm mean, unfortunately we live in a world where without those diagnoses, there's no supports, there's no services that you can link your child into, and they're going to need those supports going along the journey. You know, like my son's needed yeah. all the supports he's got. He's got live-in carers now. He's got a guardian. Yeah. He's got a trustee. And really, it all comes back to the fact that he is a registered client of Disability Services Commission, and he wouldn't yeah. have got that without the diagnosis. That you know, as a parent. You know, and quite often we are their greatest advocates. You know, we are their we are their only advocates in some situations. Yeah, and that's you know, right. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that's really yeah. really important that you know. And and sometimes you know, one of the things that uh, always frustrated me as a parent is you know, I I respect their knowledge, I respect their expertise, but you know, I am the parent. You are the parent, and we are the mm. we are we should be the voice that's listened to and respected. And sadly. That's not always the case. Has that been something that you've had to encounter, Warren, or has that improved a little bit, or is that still much the same? Or 
Well, I think um, well, I think with the education department and and um, in school systems and stuff like that, you um, you're always going to get um, you know um, teachers who are more compassionate than others, um, that are more trained than others, and stuff like that. Um, but having that having that diagnosis, um, you know, is really going to help. Um, so. Um, you know, like I often say, a, di- uh, a label is what you have when you don't have a diagnosis. Yeah, I really like that and perspective. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, one. thanks, mate. No. So you know, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I just, to me, it's it's such it's such an important topic, and it's something that you know, I'm 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 just feel very privileged to be able to talk with you about, you know, and it's something that, um, like I was talking to my wife about it. And it's something that you know, like she works in a childcare centre, and like I, you know, yeah. is that something that you know, like in terms of childcare centres and schools, high schools, primary schools, that kind of thing? Uh, you've just mentioned the education department, Warren. Are they yeah. are they kind of introducing any kind of education programs to help raise the the awareness level of their staff, or is that on the board or on the agenda? Where where is that sort of sitting from your perspective as a parent, Warren? Yeah, well, um, there's often a lot, of, a lot of high schools, particularly. I'm not really sure about primary schools, but I know in a lot of high schools they have a um, someone who's usually connected to a high school or a group of high schools, um, which is called um, the organisation. Uh, so it's I think it's uh, funded by the education department called Sadara, which is um, which is all about um, school uh, drug education and driver aware. Um, Sadara, I think, is the acronym. I'm not don't um, give me. I'm not sure the letters word for word, but it's basically school drug education and road aware. And these particular um, staff in our high schools, I know they do a lot of work around alcohol, uh, drink driving, but also with the alcohol stuff. Um, the two people that I know, uh, Jill Fitzpatrick and uh, Rose Powell, Rose Powell in Northern and Jill Fitzpatrick in Esperance. Both of them have done a lot of education um, in the high schools regarding FASD. So, um, so I know for a fact that in those two schools it happens. Um, and I, my guess is, if they're doing it, then others would be doing it um, also in our schools. Um, when I was working with Jill Fitzpatrick, um, she helped me um, organise a flash mob at Esperance Senior High School. Okay. Um, which was quite successful, and um, and so that was um, so that was really good. So we did that in uh, 2011, and we got the drama teacher involved as well because we wanted to find some high school students that weren't afraid of actually um, being in the limelight. And so um, in 2011, um, we had a group of um, high school students uh, at lunchtime. Um, Get a balloon, and they basically were statues um, for nine for nine minutes in the quadrangle, where in front of all the other students. Yeah, I remember. Um, that. Yeah, so that was quite that was quite good, and um, and yeah, it got, it got people talking, and sometimes people video it or take photos of it, and then they get that social media, um, you know, publicity happening as well, helping people to be aware. Um, you know that no alcohol is the best uh, best thing, and you know it's good to educate the high school students. The sooner we, um, you know, educate the boys and the girls that no alcohol is the best choice um, for pregnancy, um, 
before they're pregnant or before they're wanting to be pregnant, you know, um, it's, it's great. The, better, the more education we get out there, the better. Because, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we want them to be able to go into, you know, the great adventure of life, being the, be prepared in the best possible way. And um, that yeah. is my segment segue, as we call it in the media game, into the first song that I, I'm going to play right now. It's, um, it's by Stephen Curtis Chapman. It's called The Great Adventure. And when we come back, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about some of the activities that are coming up or, you know, some of the activities that are actually occurring, you know, that you might even know about because I know you've got contacts and network people around this subject in Perth as well. So when we come back, let's yeah. talk about that a bit more. But for now, I'm just okay. going to play a song. This is a song called The Great Adventure. And it's by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Thanks. I started out this morning in the usual way, chasing thoughts inside my head of all I had to do today. Another time around the circle, try to make it better than the Open up the Bible and I read about you and me. Sent on the prisoners and God's raised and set us all free. Somewhere between the pages, it made like a lightning bolt. I saw a big frontier in front of me and I heard somebody say, Let's go. Life like no other. Whoa, 
Indeed, indeed, we are for the community and we have Warren Harvey, or my friend Wazer as I like to call him, available to talk with us, just having a, a couple of difficulties, just bear with us. So you're just going to recap a little bit for the audience who may have just tuned in. We've been talking from uh, the perspective of, you know, FASD being something that, you know, is diagnosed. Um, it's, it's sadly something that happens uh, if a woman's drank during pregnancy uh, and the risk factors associated. We've also talked about how there is absolutely no blame associated with any of this, but it just is about raising awareness. It is about making people aware that, you know, that this is something that could be occurring and just be aware of what it is and just trying to understand that, you know, the, the quicker you can get it diagnosed, the quicker you can get it support, the better. Um, I hope we've got uh, Waza Harvey back. Are you there with us, Waza? Yes, mate, I am. Brilliant, brilliant. So, um, yeah, just uh, I'll just recap a little bit for the audience, but um, just in terms of, I mean, you know, when I first caught up with you, I remember seeing the flash mobs. I remember seeing the balloons inside the t-shirts, and it to me it was to me it was such a novel way to try and grab attention of a very important topic. Are those sort of things that are occurring, or what other initiatives are happening in the community? And, and just start off with your neck of the woods uh, for, for now, mate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. So we had a. Um we, we organised a bit of a pregnant pause um, on the uh, – we, I, was, I wasn't available on the 9th this, this year, so we did ours in Northern on the 8th, and uh, we went to the local shopping centre. We, we booked out um, some space. Um, we, I did some promos through email and through some social media and some other uh, community groups. And um, we didn't have – we didn't uh, – because of COVID, you know, we weren't wanting a big a big group. We're still wanting to practice social distancing. So we had a, we had a COVID-safe uh, uh, prison pause flash mob uh, here at Northern. And, um, you know, um, so that was, that was a good, good turnout. Uh, it was quite a good success. And we had, you know, a number of agencies that were involved in that. So that's a good thing. The other thing that's happening on the um, FASD side of things is this um, – this thing called uh, Red Shoes Rock, and uh, it's an international uh, movement uh, where basically you, you you wear red shoes for ninety nine days um, or ninety days, and you do different different things there. Um, you put on uh, red shoes and you share your um, um, your rocking out photos uh, for the next ninety days on on Facebook on social media. So the idea is just basically, you know, that social media um, creates a really vital importance to um, promotion of anything really, but um, particularly for FASD, um, you know, there's a lot of social media uh, things that you can do to. Um, so, um, sorry, I'm not. I hope I'm coming through okay. I'm, uh, having a little bit yep. of technical difficulties on my side again, but I think uh, we're going okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, from a, from a, I just I was asking you during the during the break about this. You know, um, you know, as a leader in the community, as a pastor, you know, um, is this something that you've sort of come across parents and sort of ha- had to help them or guide them? Uh, what ways? In what ways? You know, ha- um, would a parent? You know, obviously, the first thing that you always notice about, uh, you know. 
these kind of things is the behaviour. And that's exactly what you picked up on before. You don't want your son labelled because he's a difficult child or because he's got difficult behaviours. And has there been situations yeah. where you've kind of thought, mm, this is looking a little bit similar to what I've been through as a parent, you know, and, and as an advocate of FASD? Um, you know, what, what would you recommend to someone, you know, who, who might have to sort of help in some way or just suggest things in any way what what would be the approach that that would be best to take and just before i let you out to that question i just want to say i'm quite proud to to share with you that inspire radio did feature the red shoes thing and have really focused on that heavily so um, yeah i I did actually i just wanted to mention i don't know if gabby's listening but give a shout out for gabby in the interview that she did because that was something that was a real big feature during the week um, Excellent. Yeah. So, just yeah, just wanted wonder what your thoughts were, and you know, if you've got anything that you you want to share with, you know, like someone myself. I mean, I've got a small home church myself, and yeah. um, you know, what would you share, or any leader really of of, of any description who's, who's leading yeah. a group of people, maybe who might start yeah, to well, see, I think, you know, I think first of all, this is where um, public health and public promotion uh, is really vital because. Um, to approach uh, an individual about FASD, if you think, you know, maybe this particular child or, or um, person that might have FASD, it's a really um, sensitive um, subject to, 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 um, to encounter, you know, because, um, like I said, you know, um, it's quite challenging, obviously, for a parent to consider the fact that maybe their drinking or their actions has caused harm to their to their child. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's it's, a, it's a quite a, a challenging subject, um, and that's one of the reasons why I think uh, public education is so vital. Mm-hmm. Because if if I can, um, if let's say for example, I'm a, let's let's pretend for a minute that I might be a mother who may be thinking that my um, you know, and I'm trying to work out why is my son or daughter behaving a certain way? Is it is it, is it autism? Is it ADHD? Um, and and I can gather this information from the from the general public, and I don't have to um, out myself, if you like, publicly or to another individual that maybe it was me that caused the harm. If I can get the information somehow without anyone necessarily, you know, in in sort of like um, in a cone of silence, if you like. I can get that information, then I can go to my doctor and I can deal with it with discretion and in confidentiality, um, in a confidential space. So it is a difficult subject to approach someone with. Um, and I guess the other thing too is I, um, when I do workshops and I educate people about what the symptoms of FASD, facial features and stuff like that, I also make it very, um, it's very important to, to say just because you now are equipped with this information doesn't make you a, a doctor. Yeah, right. You know, um, you know, it's not for you to go around giving kids a diagnostic. Now, you may you may well think that that particular child has FASD. Make those appropriate allowances that are necessary because um, it's probably better that you think that instead of labelling them as a naughty kid. But however, you are still not a doctor. And you can't go around saying that kid has this and that kid has that um, because that's not what we've equipped you to do. That's what the doctors are there for. That's um, really so important. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, um, a misdiagnosis is still a label. Wow. Like, that's so good. You know, so, um, so it's not, not for us to be misdiagnosing people or pretending um, that we know 
um, stuff. And when we go, we, you know, we may suspect it. That's okay, but it's not for you to actually make give that person um, a diagnosis that you're not trained to do. I think it's really um, important to highlight that because I know um, back in the day when ADHD became like a really well understood thing, it was like you know every naughty child suddenly might have ADHD, and I think that's really important point to remember and same thing yeah. with autism when autism started becoming more and more mainstream it was like you know oh that kid's really really naughty maybe he's got autism no not necessarily exactly right you're not a doctor be aware yeah. um, be conscious be you know understand what it's about but just remember that you know you don't have that medical expertise it's okay to be yeah. a caring supportive friend but don't yeah. sort of overextend the kind of help that you think that you can give is that a fair statement yeah that's right yeah so I think that's why one of the reasons why I'm so big on um, public health and promotion, like, you know, um, is because then um, people can just, you know, grab that information um, and then they can they, they can consider it in their own privacy. They can go and see a doctor and they can get, the, get you know, and get something done. The other thing I wanted to say too about, um, about that, on particularly about public health and promotion, is um, when I first started doing some advocacy work, um, um, you know, a lot of people, when I talk about FASD, they, and even uh, politicians particularly have said this, they go, oh, yes, I've been to Fitzroy Crossing and, you know, and they want to start talking about the Aboriginal community. Okay. Um, and then, um, and I often say to them, I go, I'm not here to talk about Aboriginal people, I'm here to talk about FASD. And... Um, and the, just highlight the fact that FASD is not an Indigenous issue. It may be a, um, a issue in some Indigenous communities, but FASD affects everybody regardless of race or religion. Wow. Um, and, and, white, and as I often say to these politicians, I said, you do realise that white people also drink alcohol and get pregnant? Like, you know, like, so when it comes to public health promotion, everybody needs to be informed. When it comes to um, health intervention, obviously where there's, where there's areas of high prevalence, there needs to be high intervention. Um, but as I was highlighting before about the information vacuum, um, it's the middle class white Australians that go to the public library or buy a book on the subject to be informed and that information is lacking. Wow. So we need to be, we need to do more um, you know, the health department, I think, needs to do more in actually promoting um, public health awareness around um, FASD and making sure that everybody gets targeted, men and women, um, so that we all know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a good point that you raise and, you know, it's something that, you know, unfortunately it comes down to money. We've got to pay for these resources and, you know, we've got to get these things in, into the right uh, um, libraries online and, and, and make it available for people that, you know, maybe can't afford to access it in the, in the way some other people might. And that's where it yeah. becomes so critically important, you know what I mean? So um, Yeah, and it doesn't have to cost the government a lot of money. Like, for example, um, you know, there's alcohol labelling. All right. Now we've we've done this with cigarettes. We've made the cigarette companies who actually um, sell the cigarettes to pay for their labelling, um, and you know they've relabeled the, the cigarettes. You know with um, with certain labels have to be you know and warnings have to be a certain size and dimension and and everything like that. So the government's legislated what cigarette companies must do in in order for them to sell cigarettes in Australia. 
And it's actually research has actually proven and demonstrated that um, since um, proper warning labels and, and everything on cigarettes, that the reduction of, of smoking has reduced significantly. It's been it's actually been uh, been been proven as a very effective way of doing that. So when it comes to alcohol and pregnancy, um, alcohol is, is known um, in scientific or medical terms as a um, as a um, terogen. That is, it's an agent that can um, disturb the development of an embryo or fetus. Pterogens may cause birth defects in a child, or a pterogen may have um, uh, may halt the pregnancy outright. Um, so the um, the classes of pterogens include radiation, um, maternal infection, chemicals, and drugs, including alcohol. So now, if I was to go to a doctor and get a prescription drug, which was a pterogen, the doctor would ask me some very vital questions. They'd ask me, you know, are you pregnant? Yes or no? Are you planning on being pregnant? Because if you are planning on being pregnant, then this, this medication which I'm about to prescribe you may not be for you. Um, so they would confirm, um, when a doctor ever prescribes a pterogen, they would confirm whether you're pregnant or not. Then if you're not pregnant, they'd give you the, the uh, prescription. You'd go to the chemist. And you know what the chemist will do? What's that? Ask the same thing. Yeah. Are you pregnant? Are you planning on being pregnant? And then when you get that medication, there'll be um, there'll be big a big warning label on it that says do not use if pregnant or suspect you are pregnant or are breastfeeding. This is what will, this is what will be on the on the label of the prescription. So you've had three warnings. You've had one from the doctor, one from the chemist, and one from the label itself on the medication. But how much how much warning is there when you go to the bottle shop or, or a person goes to the bottle shop about alcohol and pregnancy? Wow. Yeah, I never even thought about that. That's like, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. It's, it's the, the bottle the, the person at the bottle shop doesn't say, Oh, are you pregnant? No, man, in this day and age they'd be um <laughs> they'd be ripped over the coals. Like you know, it's not politically correct. There's no warning signs, there's no posters. Um, now, um, there was a report, yeah, there was a, there was a report called the, um, the Woolard report and, um, it was done in, um, 2011. Um, okay. So the Woolard report basically said, um, said these things, um, um, it basically the report states that research shows that voluntary labeling system um, is ineffective. So in other words, what it's saying there, if you leave labelling up to the producers and the manufacturers of alcohol, it's going to be ineffective. If we left, if we left labelling, if we had left labelling up to the cigarette company, it would have been ineffective. Right. right? Yeah. So, so the Willard report says that voluntary labelling system is ineffective. Um, it also, um, said that, um, that labelling, um, sorry, the Willard Report also states that strong, there is strong evidence that warning labels can be effective not only in increasing information or changing attitudes but also changing behaviour. 
the successful use of tobacco warning labels suggests that alcohol warnings should be graphic, attention-getting, occupy a considerable portion of packaging surface, for example, at least 25% of the physical space, space and involve a rotating and changing messages. So this is, this is the Woolard report that was given to the government in 2011. The recommendation by the Woolard report was that the, uh, the government legislate health warning labels on alcohol beverages, but how much has the government done since 2011? Look, it surprises me to even hear you say that um, that there hasn't been a lot of lobbying around this, and there hasn't been a lot of you know political lobbying. I'll just get to the point, and uh, where yeah. actual legislation has been even introduced to sort of put a bit of you know pressure on the manufacturers of of alcohol and labels to just you know put those warning labels there. And I kind of think in yeah. some ways it's kind of hard to get to that point where the message isn't even consistent yet across the medical community, and I certainly hope that improves, Warren. That's just ridiculous. But man, Absolutely. I, I did not know. I've I, I got to be honest and say, look, I, I'm going to have to plead ignorance on that, and I'm shocked that I have to do that, that I didn't even know that those sort of warnings weren't even on labels, you know. So it just, just goes to show that, you know, we, we have come some way, but, you know, obviously yeah. we've, we've got a long way to go. Um, yeah. to, to sort of not only raise the awareness level, but raise the alert level on, you know, the alcohol products that people are buying, you know, like it's a little bit, I'm a little bit shocked, uh, to be honest, because yeah. I, I try to do as much research as I could for this interview, but I've got to yeah. be honest with you, was I had no, I had no idea that that was even the case and, and still the case now. Are there any lobbying yeah. groups that are actually even going down that route that you know of? Oh yeah, there definitely, um, there definitely there is. And, um, you know, I think um, there are uh, most alcohol beverages have a little tiny uh, label about the size of your little uh, fingernail. Okay, um, okay right. It has, a little, it has okay. a little symbol there that um, maybe suggests not alcohol um, during pregnancy. It has a little, you know, usually it has a, um, a, a silhouette of a pregnant lady on, on there with a glass in the hand with a line through it. Um, but it's, it's it's small. It's it's not effective. And again, like the research says. Um, if you leave voluntary label to the um, to the industry, it won't be effective. Um, the the Willard report also went on to say that um, there is a high level of public support for the concept of warning labels um, and action. Um, you know, and it also said that the state government um, should um, should act, uh, even if the federal government doesn't. Um, wow. Wow. So. Um, um, so there are um, some some lobbying um, groups around there. Um, I can't think of anything any any particular groups off the top of my head, but um, certainly um, um, groups around FASD uh, would certainly be advocating um, for better labelling on alcohol packaging. Yep. You know, um, you know. I think also with the PS. Um, um, RS, oh, what's it called? Responsible service of alcohol. People have to have this qualification. Okay. Um, right. And um, people, anyone who serves alcohol in the bar or at a sporting club has to have an RSA, a responsible service of alcohol. And um, I think we all, uh, you know, know um, that if a person is um, obviously inebriated, um, it's responsible service of alcohol, um, the bartender has to say, you know, no more drinks for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think I think training around FASD uh, would be good to be included in the RSA qualification. 
Um, obviously, you're not. You have to be very careful when someone's, um, you know, two months pregnant. They're not necessarily going to be showing any any signs of uh, pregnancy to to anyone. And but you know, when someone's around, you know, eight months and they're, you know, um, about to, you know, eight and a half months and they're about to drop their bundle, in a matter of speaking. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think I think it. I think we could, you know, legislate that. No, you you didn't allow to sell that person any alcohol in your bar. Um, you know, um, obviously we don't want people guessing whether someone's pregnant or not. Yeah, I get true. that. Yeah, um, that that has that has uh, that can complicate issues for customers. Um, but you know, um, even like having making sure that bars and our bottle shops actually have. Um, signage to warn people at the point of sale. Yeah. In the just yeah. in the same way that if you were to get prescribed a, a drug, a, a prescribed drug which is a um, terogen, you would the doctor would warn you, the chemist would warn you, and the product would warn you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and um, alcohol can which is the same. Um, uh, what's the word? It's still also a terogen, but yeah, you can access this. Um, freely without any questions being asked, but we don't allow that with prescription medicine. Well, just just um, unfortunately, the hour is just about up, which is a shame because this is a topic I could, could talk about with you all day. You know, I certainly have yeah. been a lot more educated and a lot more aware. I'm just going to add that you know, you and I are married men. We've had children. We know how tough pregnancy is for women. We've, we've sort yeah. of, we know a little bit on the outside looking in. I just want to make that clear, ladies, for anyone who's listening in, that we realise it's tough, we realise it's hard, and we realise, you know, you need all the support that you can possibly get. Absolutely. But don't yeah. use alcohol to get that support. That's all we're really saying. And, you know, try yeah. and find any ways that you can that are safe and effective that are going to help you in, you know, it, what should be the most wonderful, amazing experience of your life. Well, one of them anyway, that is for sure, yeah. you know. So just as we come to the wrap-up point, Warren, um, is there any final messages or words or just something you just want to share for listeners um, just as we come to the conclusion of the interview? Yeah, sure. I just want to encourage men in particular to be men like Manoa. Now, Manoa is a fella in the Bible and he was actually Samson's dad. We actually don't know Samson's mum's name. But when Manoa found out that his wife was going to be pregnant and the angel of the Lord came to, um, to Samson's mum and said, don't drink any strong drink because you're about to have a baby, and we know this is the oldest written document where we know as a society that what the mother drinks, the baby also drinks. But when Manoah found out that his wife was going to be pregnant, he said to her, when the angel of the Lord returns, come and get me because I want to know what I need to do. So he went to the first prenatal class and he wanted to know what he needed to do to support his wife in the pregnancy how to raise his son and to make sure that his son was as healthy as could be. And so I always say to men, be men like Manoa and be in the Noah. Well, that's that's a really good way to wrap it up, you know. And, yeah, look, I, I just want to say that um, it's just been wonderful to have you on for my first live interview on Inspire Radio, Warren. And um, Wazza, I call you Wazza. I'm just going to keep calling yeah, you Wazza. call me Wazza. Um, always have since I was 20 years old. I've known you since I was 20 years old. And I guess when you're on radio, you kind of want to be a bit formal and professional. But, you know, you are Wazza. Uh, you're effectively known by Wazza by everyone. You're called Pastor Wazza as well. So you are Wazza. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> but look, mate, um, I want to honour you and thank you for your time. Thank you for setting this time, you know, aside 
uh, for me to talk about a very a very important topic and something that I know is very very close to your heart and you know as a fellow parent you know who has a child that's had to deal with very similar condition but not the same thing I realize that you know yeah, my yeah. thoughts and my prayers go out to your brother and thanks again Thank for, for being with us and it's it's just been great to have you on mate thanks a lot no worries. God bless you, and thank you for the opportunity. God bless you, mate. You take care, mate, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon, eh? Okay. See you, mate. See you, mate. So that was um, Waza Harvey from Collective Hope Church in Northam. Um, look, if anyone's got any um, requests to look up for information, no FASD, just Google it, you'll find it. There's heaps of information. I did a bit of research on this last night. There's even a podcast that you can access on no FASD, the government website. There's regular podcasts that you can look at. There's, um, there's, you know, there's information from psychologists. There's information from so many different people around this really important topic. And I just want to stress again, you know, that, you know, this is a no-blame approach it's just about being aware. It's just about, you know, understanding that, you know, pregnancy is such a precious thing and, you know, find whatever ways that you can that work best for you to help you support you in that pregnancy without the use of alcohol is really the message, you know, and the medical community is is improving and there are things happening in a lot of different areas and it's good to hear that there's some support groups coming up you know, because it is just about being positive and going forward and just trying to do the best you can with what you've got. So I just really thank you for tuning in um, to my very first on-air radio broadcast. Uh, I had a few difficulties at the beginning, but this is the first time that I've gone live on Inspire Radio and I've been getting the thumbs up from my wife on Messenger. So that means the sound's going out. That means the music's been played. I didn't get to play all the songs that I wanted to today. You know what? That's okay. Because, you know, you've got to be flexible and you've got to understand that, you know, sometimes things don't always go to script. Uh, and that's what it's all about, you know, in radio, media. I'm sure it's the same for even the professionals in TV. You know, things don't always go to plan. You've got to think on the fly. Adapt, improvise, problem overcome was what the guy taught me that I was learning how to cook with back in the day. So, yeah, it's been a real privilege. Um, I've really enjoyed this. I'm going to send a shout out to Tristan Riddick, who's given me the opportunity to do this. You're a great bloke, mate. It's because of your vision, you know, that people like myself get to do something like this. So, you know, I, I really just want to thank you again. Thank you for all the uh, presenters and all the work that you do. Thank you to Gabby for the interview she did with that lady from uh, about, you know, the FASD. And thank you for the awareness that you raised, Gabby. And, and thank you to the station and, and just the amazing work that, you know, you guys are doing in the community. And just knowing that I get to be a part of that is just such a great honour. You know, and it's just such a great privilege. So I'm just going to wrap it up now. I'm going to come to the conclusion. And I hope you'll all tune in next week for my guest, Colin Brown, who's the author of Born to Battle. Thank you for listening to Authentic Voices Hour on Inspire Radio. It's been great to bring you a mixture of great songs, encouraging and uplifting words, and some great guests. I hope you can tune in next week for another hour of Authentic Voices. Thank you. This is Chris, your host. <laughs>